So me and Phil joined today by Matt Sanchez. Do you want to introduce yourself a bit, Matt? Yeah, hi, good evening. I'm Matt Sanchez. I'm a professional appreciator of music. Okay. What we usually do with starting off on these is we ask people about how they first got into music and how they first felt that spark on their musical journey. It's a really good question because like generally people's memories of like their early life they don't remember anything unless it was important and followed on so i think my opening gambit on music would have been when i was like nine or ten and being forced to do musicals as part of a production of like in, in primary school you know forced forced to do musicals well we had no choice yeah school plays and the like yeah. what, what musicals do you do you remember um, so my my first introduction into what musicals were was uh, Joseph is an amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Oh, cool. So we did that when I was eleven. And who were you? And who I, I was the ah oh, I can't even remember now. Was it Reuben, the older brother? Don't look at me. I don't know. I've never okay, even seen the play. It's a Lloyd Webber thing. Well, what about hearing music like uh, at home or wherever? Do you remember hearing no. music for the first time? No. Do I, I don't. That's that's the weird thing. What, what kind of music was played around your parents' house? Nothing. Really? Right. So they were totally unmusical. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say they're unmusical. I mean, they owned. Some, yeah, no, no, they they are unmusical. They owned records and see. Well, they didn't own CDs because that probably wasn't invented back then. But <laughs> there was music around that I could, if I wanted to, I could take it, turn on the stereo, and put it on and listen to what it was about. But I didn't have it around me. So, do you have a memory of uh, first finding a record or tape lying around and putting it on? Yeah, it was mainly it was kid stuff like Willow the Wisp and Postman Pat and Thundercats on vinyl. Oh, cool! But it was like an episode with and like in the case of Postman Pat or even Thomas the Tank Engine, there were songs involved. And like the back sleeve gave you the lyrics, and so you could sing along. And you know, I was entertained by that and like being able to sit by the record player and and actually physically see this big huge piece of plastic making sounds at me and also being something I could interact with me I think that got me hooked I think a lot of people have, have cottoned on to that because Phil you said about the first time you got to use the record player mm. and actually use that and I think a lot of people think that's quite a cool thing I think it is especially like our generation because we, we, we I, I mean I'm speaking for myself but main this might uh, coming at some point with you guys is like that was a big expensive piece of equipment you should never touch but when you got that experience to interact and use that piece of machinery you felt more intelligent than what you were so it's like a rite of passage that's how i saw it anyway i think i think for our generation that was that first time where your parents let you touch the record player and put mm. a record on yeah. and put the stylus down onto those grooves yeah that was like it was all I mean, for me, it was my first piece of recognition and togetherness with my father. When I first put the stylus on with a rec to a record, he was just like, yeah, you did that good. Oh, I was just like, yeah, fuck yeah. He's sitting there <laughs> over your shoulder thinking, oh, I hope he doesn't scratch the record. Ah, <laughs> well done. This is my prized possession. If he scratches it, well, we will deport him. Well, you're one of the people <laughs> I really wanted to talk to on this podcast because it was uh, one of the conversations from you that actually sparked the impetus to then have the conversation with Anson that mm -hmm. then and yourself that then led on to all of this because me and Really you, was it? Yeah it was. It was from that. So when but, I mean we we, we had a, a three day ten hour shift each day 
conversation about our musical likes. This is something you could never have in normal life. The conversation we had was just some epic, overflowing... I, I have no Look, words. The way I remember it, we were doing... We, I mean, the thing is, we had the time and the space to go into minute detail. Mm. You, you were walking... And that was great. Yeah, yeah probably back up a second. Yeah, this was when, uh, Matt, you visited Sanchez in Spain, yeah? Yeah. Uh, earlier this year? No, this was a couple of years back now. Yeah, was it? Oh, 2013? So Two years ago to, now. To hop up on it, we anyway. were doing... You can probably explain better than I can what the Camino is and how we found ourselves doing it. I'll say it, well... Now, I live on the Camino. I own a hostel for hikers walking across Spain. And me and Matt decided to just do it because he was living in Logroño, which is a, a city on the Camino. So he thought, hey, why the hell not? And that get every day you walk as much as you can or as little as you want. <laughs> Have as much booze as you want or as little as you can. And just enjoy surroundings, people life new people and everything to do with being sociable and through this like walking next to each other for weeks on end we fleshed out an actual life history of our musical mm. loves hates desires everything and it was really. good we literally took it in turns you had one full day <coughs> you had the first day and i had the second day when we decided yeah, to literally much. cover the musical our musical uh, i don't know upbringing from that, that first spark just just everything from from zero to infinity. But that's almost. why that's what I was trying to get to before. Uh, having that space to talk and that, I think we actually realised a few things that that we didn't before. But I was trying to ask, like, do you remember that first point where you actually appreciated music or first heard something and then went, "Wow, what actually is this?" Yeah, I think um, I previously said I didn't hear music around the house. It wasn't up until a point where I started enjoying music, where my parents started playing music around me to encourage me to have that love of music and then ask me to learn piano and violin and all these other instruments I didn't really have that much interest in. But it was the musicals that came in. And especially from the influence of school, having done, in primary school, I was involved in three different musicals, one of them being a Lloyd Webber, which then put me onto Android Webber soundtracks, his his writing with Tim Rice and other people. And then I remember seeing Cats for the first time in London when I was I don't know, I was maybe like ten or eleven. And wow. having having like like sitting in a theatre where I'm used to th sitting and just watching something. These cats were coming out of the woodwork all around me and I was just like, holy crap <laughs> there's 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 a cat who's, I mean, I didn't like cats at the time. I've never been a cat person <laughs> until like, what, two, year, two or three years ago? So having like people dressed up as cats, like seeping through the woodwork and kind of like touching and like nibbling at your feet with their fingers. I can I, see I, why. It I caught my attention as a kid, you know? And then the musical content, I mean, I didn't really care much for the for the lyrics. It was like the energy and the rhythm and the syncopation of the music that really got my interest. That makes sense. And I think that's bled on to right now, where I could not give a shit about lyrics. No, you're still I, not I'm bothered. All, I'm all about the music. I mean, I, I think there's quite a lot of people who who can't appreciate music without a singer, because they have to have 
a vehicle for a lovely voice or they have to have some kind of lyrical content that they can connect to words you know these people might as well just read books they get way more out of it than music but w- but for me it was all about the music the dramatization i mean if you have an, uh, a stressful point in the music it's going to be all like high and shrill and it's it's going to grab you emotionally you know what i mean well what about something like everybody hurts by rem when you where for me you, you can't ignore the lyric would you not even that kind of thing it's a song I don't really like, Fair and right. I haven't heard that much. But I I know it it brings a lot of connotation through the lyrics, mm-hmm. maybe more than the music actually does, because the yeah. music of everybody hurts is actually quite simplistic. Yeah, I think if you played that on that on its own without any lyrics, maybe you'll feel a, a slightly downtrodden. Mm-hmm. But you, there's a it, it it's it's a song rather than being music. I know there's a lot of people that don't who sort of well there seems to be two camps and people say that they appreciate the lyrics or they really don't and I really don't think it's that simplistic. I was talking to well, Bob before. I, and he I doesn't think care I think when lyrics. when many people say they like music, mm. they don't. What they like is songs. I mean, it, it, it's so much bought into the fore right now with like X Factor and The Voice and all these channels. There are people out there with nice voices singing songs. The music is fucking shit. Mm. The music is like the, the music there is, is no three music steps behind everything. As no, well, the, yeah. there's no music. It's a beat with someone playing two notes on a piano. It's it's bollocks. There's songs and there's music. There are two different things that we all need to differentiate. But then what against. about um, Bill Withers, the man who has made an entire career out of really simple music and melody with very much heartfelt and quite simple lyrics. But he, yeah. the way he puts that together, the way he does put that together, or even something like uh, Smoke on the Water, absolute and utter simplicity, but it just appeals to something inside of you. I think that's a talent as hard as any other. But you see, the musicianship will always come out. If it's blatantly a song, it's blatantly a song. If Wait, it's what? <laughs> okay, it's the differential between music and a song. Uh, okay. okay. A, a song like exists in a finite amount of time. A piece of music could go on forever. Okay. So, so would you? what about something like Paranoid Android by pa- Radiohead? Could go on forever. And it should do. I mean, I don't know if you ever bought the CD single of Paranoid Android. Yeah. There's like another couple of tracks that just continues that feeling. Yeah. Palo, pa- Palo Alto, is it? Uh, Palo Alto's on the No Surprise single. Oh, whoops. I'm, I'm geeking out right now. <laughs> but it's also geek out. <laughs> geek! Uh, hang on, right. It's, it's like a pearly or something. That's right, yeah. But basically, all, all the B-sides that Radiohead had from that f- their first two singles of uh, OK Computer, Paranoid Android and Karma Police, were collected on How's My Driving, mm. an EP they released in America, then later on it, uh, here in England, which then got nominated for a Grammy. Oh, yeah. You told me about that. It was just their B-sides. And they released it as a kind of one-off thing in America, and it was had so much success in America. They released it over here as like a... a um, almost like a B-side to the whole OK Computer album. I like and that And therefore idea. got... Nominated for a Grammy, and they're just us. We're so good that all of our offcuts and B sides can get nominated for a Grammy yeah. and break America. But, but but that was the thing that Radiohead Radiohead did. They they did amazing things through melody and music that connected to people. It 
probably wasn't just the lyrics. I mean, the lyric, the only lyrics that stand out to me in the whole of Radiohead's repertoire is "creep," mm. because it it does call to people. Because you hear those bud buzzwords, you feel in your soul, and you're like, "Oh, hang on a sec, I need to listen to this song again." And actually, get, get it. That's what got me into Radiohead, listening to it enough times that I actually started to get the lyrics. Like that's actually hmm. what tipped the balance for me. I knew they were good, but I'd never understood what they were saying until Karma Police. I'm like, oh, actually, that's pretty mm, cool. Interesting. I quite like that. So, so you both say you don't really, you're not really lyric guys, but those, but but there are, there are. Well, I think I am more than Sanchez, but I, yeah, I think I, I would say for myself, I'm absolutely not a lyric guy. But if I enjoy a song so much, I'll. Uh, I mean, maybe the lyrics go through my brain and my body via osmosis. You know, I don't. I'm not there actively listening and absorbing them. They maybe seep into me passively yeah yeah well to go back a couple of steps then so you've done your musical thing you've gone out from school you're starting to become a teenager did you have like your own rebellious music or soundtrack or what did you how did you get into heavy metal and dance <laughs> and all that kind of stuff which it's came first i mean it, it, it's 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 a long web really like the the first two records i ever bought was uh two seven inch records uh without you by mariah carey I don't know how that came into my logical system. No judgment. <laughs> no judgment. But it, it was the musicality of her voice that I loved on that track. I didn't understand the lyrics because she was all like, <laughs> but you know, in in that in, was uncanny. <laughs> that was such a good impression. Yeah, I get fucked. It's not at all. But you know what I mean? It was. She was like warbling high and low and high and low, and there's no sense to the the lyrics that was coming forth. But she used her her voice. As an instrument. Yeah. You know? Which, like on a Great Gig in the Sky, which I keep talking about by Pink yes, Floyd. Yes, Pink Floyd. Yeah, when they told her, re-record it. My favourite like instrument on Dark Side of the Moon, yeah. without a doubt. Is that because it has that, that free-flowing free quality where they, they don't know what the hell happened in that studio on, on that one take? That's, that's the magic of music. Yeah. When, when suddenly all the composite parts come together and amazingness happens and i don't think this happens enough in modern music because it's far too much uh, controlled or contrived even so you bought mariah carey so i bought mariah carey on the on the same day that i bought mariah carey without you seven inch i also bought twilight zone seven inch by uh, two unlimited who were <laughs> at that time when i was 11 my favorite band absolutely and do you know why because all the boy bands and girl bands around at that time are all talking about love and stuff. Something I didn't fucking get because I was 11. So what did I go for? Pounding techno. Yeah. And cheesy European techno. <laughs> but but it was it was kind of great though, wasn't it? I mean, I like something like Saturday Night by, by Wigfield. I couldn't stand at the time. This is like 94 when I was 14. Well, but you know what? I loved it. I bought that. <laughs> now I really like it. Really? Yeah. I mean, now I can't stand it. I mean, now for me, it's that kind of dance music era of my life when I wasn't old enough to go to raves, but I was old enough to appreciate the music that made rave culture. Ah, uh, that you I know? get. When I first started so I, listening I did, to I didn't have the experience, bass. but I had the music. Well, so what came first? Because um, I know you as being a heavy electronica fan and then a bit of a metalhead. Well, I don't know which came first, though. Oh, uh, Raven Electronica was 
first and foremost. After, after the whole uh, Android weather musical thing, I was straight into techno. <laughs> quite a <laughs> quite a leap. And, and you know what? I don't know how it happened. I honestly don't know. I think, to be honest with you, I think I saw the video to uh, to Tribal Dance, which was that seven inch that I bought. Yeah, I saw that before. Like Tone Limited got like huge when when No Limits got to number one. Everyone yeah, was like, yeah. No, No Limits can reach for the oh sky. Oh God, yeah, classic. It's actually it's still a brilliant record, and people are still releasing white labels remixes of that track. Wow, like what was it like? 20 odd years yeah, later, yeah. 25 years yes, later, yes. even Jesus. But, um, th- there was something about that that was so anti everything else because what was happening at the same time that I was getting into like the rave music, and you can arguably say that rave music is a very um satellite music of this area because it was it was London, Essex, around the M25. This is where rave music maybe up in manchester because they'd influenced it by like via the happy mondays and new order and all these other bands but it was happening in london in our sphere of influence and specifically all the illegal raves and parties that was happening exactly. within the m25 which is yeah. where the band orbital got exactly. their name from m25 also which Tone Limited led me to Orbital, led me to Prodigy, led me to SL2, led me to Candy Staten and The Source and fucking all of these great melodic pieces, including vocals. I never listened to lyrics. It's, it's the vocals that soar and are so guttural. I mean, you listen to Candy Staten and she is just, her lungs are like, like forcing her tits out of her whole <laughs> entire like wedding dress that I imagine she wears in every single recording studio no. all around the world. I was actually going to try and say on the mic, <laughs> listeners try and count down until he mentions the prodigy, but you just got straight yeah. in there before because I oh, see uh, prodigy. I would have to say that in my life, are one of the biggest transition bands mm. or the big, uh, the mo- the most influential band ever. On my experience of music. Well, me and Phil said before about how so many people mention The Prodigy because they're like the dance band that all the metalheads got into. Mm-hmm. Same as someone like Cypress Hill might be the first hip-hop thing that yeah. a metalhead would get into. Yeah. Or you could go the other way. But uh, and, and that's exactly my route. I was the other direction. It's, uh, all the all the tracks that The Prodigy released within the kind of rave um, early techno sphere the things that I was picking up on, and I, I grew with them. They grew into, from their first album, that was very rave-covered. It was Charlie, Everyone Their Place, Out of Space, an absolute class that everyone still loves today. And then their second album came to the fore, the uh, Music for the Guilty Generation. All the singles from that just forced me to listen to other music. It was generally more industrial, it was harder. It was. It was a progression, and they progressed from something very likable to something very hard. And you you always want that bigger high every time, especially when it comes to dance music. You know, you're looking for that bigger high every time. Yeah, well uh, agreed. And they and they they did that not through playing higher notes they did that by getting heavier and stronger and they went from rave through techno through rock they they one of their best tracks ever features pop will eat itself an english grunge band you'll never hear of that 
in many places, an English grunge band. The Prodigy spent so like decades between albums, but now looking back onto it, they had an album in 91, 94, 97. And for me, that lasted a fucking lifetime. How do you feel about them now? I feel that they are not now pushing the envelope like they should be. I mean, they're still cool. They still make great music, but they're—I think—they're too old to be pushing the envelope. I mean, I saw them live at Alexandra Palace um, just before I moved back to Spain back in like April, May time, and it was great. But I didn't feel any passion anymore. That—that that, do you think that might might be because you've your musical um, taste has changed? Oh yeah, I, I've moved on. Yeah. I moved on. Having said that, I did see them um, at their big one-day festival at uh, Milton Keynes back in was that 2010, I think it was. It was a great festival, and their music was amazing. And they did everything really strongly. They did a whole range of tracks, like from like the early 90s up until that day, a whole 20-year span of music, and it was great. They they played at Alexandra Palace earlier this year, and it just seemed like they were just like going through the paces. Mm. Bit sad, really. We're just going to pause for a second for a word from our sponsor. And our sponsor today is Rioja. And Rivita. And Rivita. Manson, they were a massive influence in my progression into liking progressive music. Because they're, they're quite psychedelic but very progressive at the same time because no one track sounded like the last. No one album had the same feel as the last. Well, they, they, they moved and I moved with them. I mean, is there something you look for in these bands? Is there no. either a common thread or something um, you look for? I, th- I think it's a passion. I, I really feel I'm quite receptive when people or bands love the music they, they make. That comes through through the through the range of music they play the range of uh notes they choose the range of emotions they d- decide to display you know what i mean mm. and super fairy animals were always that band that they're always pushing but they they weren't pushing for more emotion they were pushing for more uh musical integrity maybe or they were pushing away from being something that was classified as Britpop, as indie. And I, I think that that's where my love of Manson came in because they, they were very progressive. They they had they had a touch of Pink Floyd about them. They had a touch of King Crimson about them. Then all of a sudden they they imploded and they, they started to be a pre Coldplay Coldplay. Okay, well now we come to the part of the show which is called Free Association where we're going to um, say genres and and if you could come up with a sound or a word, just the first thing that comes into your head with the associated with that genre. No, no, it's cool. I like this. Okay. Country. Cunt. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been my answer as well. <laughs> Drum and bass. Lucid. Hair metal. The epitome. Gospel. A book. Enya. Legendary. Traditional fun. And, and multi-tracking. Oh my God, Enya was so good at multi-tracking. But anyway, carry on, sorry. 
Traditional folk. Traditional. Indian. Korma. (laughs) (laughs) Hip hop and rap. Balls. (laughs) Blues. Influential. What? Influential. Uh, Choral. Great Barrier Reef. That's what Bluesy said. Yeah, no. No way. Yes. Yeah, that's what Bluesy came out with. Okay, uh, did God, we say God funk? What about Blues. funk? Funky. Funk, funky. Yeah. Wow. Is it that there's nothing... For me... Wow. With, with funk, it just doesn't happen properly unless you're, you're feeling funky. Wow. Prog rock. So much potential in the future. Oh, yeah? Cool. Reggae. Stagnant. Ooh. You bitch. Punk. Dead. Opera. Unbelievable potential. Oh, is that it? That's it for that. Oh, that's a shame. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it's that a good was a fun round. I wanted to <laughs> ask if there are any yes. gigs that stand out to you or any particularly, yeah, any gigs or concerts that stand out to you in your life? Yes. Uh, uh, there's quite a few, actually. Like got? My first, what I, I feel is the first gig I went to is back in, I think it was 96. I went to um, uh, the Wembley Stadium to go and see Blur do the Blur album, their self-titled album. They got supported by, uh, this, well, I can't remember, the Warm Jets. Do you remember those guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't anymore. <laughs> and and the Super Fairy Animals. They co-headlined. Well, I like to think they co-headlined because they were fucking awesome. They were actually better than Blur. Well, had you heard of them before? Or this is when you discovered them or what? Um, They, I saw that gig... Literally about three months after I bought my first Super Fairy Animals album. And why that gig? Why that gig? I was invited by some of my friends. They had a spare ticket and they were like, hey, Matt, do you want to go to a gig? And I was like, what's one of those? Oh, sweet. Cool. I, I, I must, uh, so what was that, 96? I must have been like 15, 14, 15. Uh, what, what's your memories of the gig? Um, I remember being very far away. It was a Wembley Arena, and we were like right at the back in the seating. And I, I was like, "This is great. I wish I was like these people who are all like jumping like a big fountain yeah. of jump in front of me." <laughs> I wanted to do that. Before we move on, any other gigs that really stand out to you? Um, yes. Oh, just. Uh, I mean, there are too many. I think uh, seeing Shika- uh, Enter Shikari at the Club Eighty Five. Uh, when was it? Like. 2009 I think it was when you guys let in like 400 people <laughs> yeah yeah that may have been my birthday party <laughs> oh, was yeah it? yeah that was my birthday Jesus. for years oh god uh, th- that was when I was living just across the road from Club 85 and uh, I loved I really loved Shikari's first album mm. at the time and when, when I when I heard they're coming back to the club like I know for the fifth or sixth time so they played there a lot before yeah yeah played there a dozen big, times uh, it was the first time I'd gone to I think I'd have gone to see them a few times before, but when they were like total unknowns, maybe. Um, 
But I just remember this time that there was so many people there. Yeah, it was so many rammed. people. They'd done something really good, and their first album is great. I re- uh, melodically, they're mixing up every genre of music I've ever enjoyed in my life and taking it somewhere. You yeah. know, it was yeah. great. I mean, the, the albums after that haven't been quite good. I'm so surprised at that because they but nailed life. that first Jesus album. Christ. They nailed that first album. Yeah, they? I'm didn't so they? surprised that the rest of it is so shite. I'm so surprised that it's so boring. And I'm like, is it me? Is it me? Me? It's not me. Well, I hate to play the underdog card, but I think those kids come from new money families. And I think the impetus to make great music just isn't quite there. Even though that first album, for me, will always be a good album. Always. Mm. I still listen to it. Yeah, I really like it. And enjoy it. What I remember from that gig, I remember Bob saying about there being uh, about six people in the air at any one time during that gig, and they made like a massive human pyramid as well, which was (laughs) the first time. Do you remember that? That was beautiful. (laughs) That was really, really something. A massive human pyramid in the middle of the club, and that was great. The great thing was everyone was just well into it. I've been to the club so many times when people are just being passive spectators, but every, literally everyone in my vicinity or in the vicinities where I ended up landing on the floor were well into it and wanted to be an active part in that. And it just made it such a good gig. I wanted to ask about your unique perspective on Spanish music, or at least the music that is listened to in Spain, because obviously you spent a lot of time over there. The Spanish are absolutely repressed, generally, when it comes to music. What do you mean? Um, They still enjoy Julio Iglesias. Yeah, but he's Spanish, so... Yeah, but that's the thing. They're, they're a, a lot of Spanish traditional music has, has taken moves away from traditionality and moves back into it. And there's so much still left there within traditionality. I mean, it's good. They they still have their identity musically, but it hasn't moved around much in, say, the past 70, 80 years. Well, Apart from the attitudes within music. Maybe not the music itself, but the attitudes within the fan base. Well, what about without, music? not so like, less mainstream music? So the Spanish people you meet and have these kind of conversations with, like your Spanish friends, oh. that kind of thing, how do they feel about music? Because I totally notice the difference between dance music. I, mean, I don't want to sound like a snob, but well, there is massive difference. If, if we're talking about dance music, I think Spain is generally still stuck in 1993 and they haven't advanced any further i mean you still get people like buying out the latest mercedes the latest beamers you know they spent like spent like a hundred grand euros wise on this amazing car with an amazing stereo system and what do they want to play through the stereo to unlimited or capella or sl2 or whatever you know there, there's there's no you know they, they spend fortunes on these stereo kits to play shit music through but, but or for ancient them. music through, and they think it's still de rigueur. They think it's still current that they will, I don't know, attract women from across the town with the the bass wobblings of on a ragged tip. <laughs> it's, it hap- it's happening <laughs> now. It's happening. It will be happening next weekend in 
any well, town you go to. In not Spain. to go too deep into it, but surely that's part of us being snobby in the way that English people are supposed to be snobby about music because we get everything first. Like I remember when Gangnam oh, Style died. We, I no, remember no, when no, that we, died, we and I went over to Thailand, and it was just turned up as a new thing. And it's just as a, an odd one. Well, you got to realise that our proximity to London means that we get everything very new and very soon. Do we you think that spoils us? Yeah, in a way, I think it does. I think we are so much on the pulse or trying to push that pulse even faster that we don't realise that in other places things are not evolving so quickly, especially countries that have gone through a dictatorship or they've gone through some kind of repression. I think things have generally haven't advanced. I mean, Spain is, a, is an amazing country in that they were under a dictatorship only up until 35 years ago, yeah, which, which here in Western Europe, you know, that's a, that's a big thing. And, you know, th they've advanced a lot generally in things, but things are so generally antiquated. And I think taste and style of music has been that way until very recently. It's, it's only just now that you're getting uh, a reggae culture coming out of Spain. You're getting a post-rock culture coming out of Spain. Cool. I'm quite interested. Like, uh, do you see much flamenco, much traditional Spanish music around now? Um, when you say traditional Spanish music, Spain's a big place. Yeah. Um, I live up in the northwest, and it's a Cel it's Celtic country. Celtic. We, yeah, we get Celtic music. So explain the, the, that then. Well. As the Spanish will tell you, like with, with anything that happens in Spain, it always started in Spain. So the tradition is in the Celtic, Celtic culture, as they see it in Spain, um, it moved up from the northern Spain up through the Bay of Biscay to Southern Ireland, to Cornwall, to Southern Wales, to England, to Brittany in France. The seven Celtic nations, basically. And uh, a lot of Spanish people think that started from there. Right. So where, from where I live, the traditional music is bagpipes. Right. Fiddles. Wow. And oh, I can't remember what they're called in English now. Oh, the the drum. The no. Yeah, those Irish, what well, I'd think of as an Irish the, drum. It's got a film and lots of little symbols around it. Yeah, like a tambourine. Tambourine, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like a tambourine, but... Pandereta, it's called it Spanish. Because right. well, you guys it's have the bigger. Celtic Music Festival. Yeah. Near um, you uh, as well. In Magosto, which is the northern Celtic Spanish version of Halloween. Yeah. Which Halloween doesn't exist. It's not All Souls Day. It's All Saints Day. When everyone celebrates the possible reincarnation. So there's lots of traditional Celtic music happening. There's lots of drinking and celebration because you might see your dead relatives again. And, and you wouldn't want to face them sober, would you? You would not want to face them sober. And this is something that's been going on for centuries because like, the, the area <coughs> I live in was never touched by um, the invading Muslims from North Africa, right. which happened for 800 years in Spanish history, between the 800s and the 1500s. But the place I live in was never touched. We're on the front line, but we never got touched. So there's still that traditional... Celtic feeling right. in, in green mountainous Spain. I, I it's a place you probably never even thought about. Huh? I had no idea that that was the case. That's that's very interesting. I mean, um, so so the music does it sound 
Irish or does it to yeah. I mean to to our ears? Does it yeah, sound uh, Irish? To my ears, absolutely. Wow, absolutely. But the more the more movement that I mean, the great thing that Spain has is they do stick with the traditional music, and because of that, there's modern takes on that music. Yes. So the the concert I went to three weeks ago for Magosto for the for All Saints Day, um, it was a mixture of punk, reggae, folk, and Enya. Wow. And lots of people came to. I mean, this talking about this town, it's in the middle of nowhere. Yep. Within the middle of nowhere, <laughs> within Spain. Yeah. But for these festivals that they hold. They get maybe a hundred thousand people. Wow! Just to change the pace slightly, yes. do, do you think music can save lives? Yeah, absolutely. I think, especially with people who suffer from depression, if they can grab something in music that lifts them out of that abyss, if it's something they can connect with and feel passionate about, I I really believe it can save lives. Have you ever been in a in a in a very fragile state where music has just touched you on a really deep level? Yes, not the music I was looking for, but ironically, the music that appeared from my youth. Um, I I had a really bad period in which I decided to run away from this country and walk the Camino. This is where I I discovered the whole thing and decided to live there. And um, while walking along, the rhythm of my feet brought up many uh, songs from my past. I mean, it's probably not <laughs> good to suggest it or say it now, but a lot of Rolf Harris tunes came into my head. Like, the, the pace I was walking spelt out two little boys had two little toys. Sure. And Britney Spears got in there as well. That, uh, that actually demotivated me, so Britney Spears can kill potentially <laughs> <laughs> if, if I didn't have that uh, the other things to call upon you know yeah what what other music on that on that walk um sort of came into your into your world wow um uh, everything I everything I, I listened to before that hold any held any meaning to me when I was like I had that space to walk across Hours and hours and hours without really thinking, because there's so many things that you th constantly think about that if you have a space and a time to think for a long time, those things are unimportant. You go to deeper things. So everything in my past came up. Um, when I wanted to feel particularly powerful, maybe Dragon Force would be like come into my head. It's like some splitting blast beats and some fiddly fret rankery would make me walk like maybe triple fast than I really actually could well, a little bit through your path and through your music yeah. your musical journey I wanted to ask you about Heavy Devi and Devin Heavy Townsend Devi. I'm amazed we've well, not touched on this before yeah I mean to be honest with you it's only a, a very recent revelation I thought it was a good couple of years at least no? oh no it's been a good couple of years oh right sorry he's almost been the avatar of a headness for my taste in music the past four years. So the avatar of a headness. Okay. Pushing forward, you know. Oh, yeah. I thought you said avatar of a hedonist. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that music makes sense. musically, it's very his music is very hedonistic. It's dripping with what's the word I'm looking for? 
uh, dripping with range and scope and, and lots colors and lots of emotions and emotions and flavors and for me, for me, like my whole musical life has been building up to appreciating what he, this guy does. I got introduced to him a while ago. Um, oh, I don't know, say eight years ago. I didn't like him to start off with. Mm -hmm. I don't know. If, I don't know if I didn't like him. A because I didn't give the music a chance. B because the person suggesting it was someone I didn't like. Or C, I was totally in a different musical frame of mind at the time you know see if you think this is fair for those of you who are listening and don't know who devin townsend is um bald very friendly very easy to like canadian dude who started off as steve vai's guitarist guitarist and steve vai steve Vai's singer yeah oh singer yeah oh was he oh, wow. uh, the sex and religion album he took over vocals oh wicked for the whole album in fact he then pro he then um, progressed on to be his own band, which was Strapping Young Lad. Well, I mean, uh, that, that's the great thing because he was pushed in at such a young age. I think it was like seventeen or eighteen. Damn. When yeah, when he joined um, Stephen Boy's band, cause it, I think he was headhunted because of the, the range of his voice. He got so disillusioned with music and um, the industry around it. He did something so very different that he went into industrial metal through Strapping Young Lad. And Strapping Young Lad are incredibly full on, incredibly full on. But and, and still now, even fun. even though they were at their peak in, in the 90s, uh, the late 90s, early noughties. But then he transferred, he then transferred into the stuff that we sort of know and love him for mm. of doing the Devin Townsend but project. And that, 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 and that was quite the, that, that was the interest. The interesting thing about his early solo career is he'd do a Strapping Young Lad, Lad album and then do the antithesis album on the back of his own name. So every Strapping Lad, Young Lad album has a ghost album following it through Devon's solo career. Then when he disbanded Strapping Young Lad, he d his solo career just like took off through many different angles. Well, when you say ghost album, do you mean like an ambient counterpiece? or uh, Not quite, just something that's very the opposite. I mean, Strapping Young, Young Lad's most famous, d darkly hard-hitting album from, like, 97 was called City, um, which is still a cathartic and disgustingly good heavy metal album. It is a bit good, to let's this be day, honest. To this day. And his, his parent album, or the, the ambient album on the back of that, was his first solo album called Ocean Machine, which was all based around the idea of water, right? And it's still it's still quite heavy, but light in parts. But nothing compared to the massive monolith of. I mean, you know the you know the movie um, Two Thousand One Space Odyssey yeah. when yeah. The, the monolith is there, yeah, and it, it's the most overbearing, most important part of that movie. Big fan. Potentially, that explains everything around it. That's what Strapping Young Lad was. <laughs> the thing that then got me into it, other than having Sanchez blare it in my ears for <laughs> over a year I and really then not have to no. kill him and bury him somewhere <laughs> in the Masetta, other than that, it's because he does big stage shows and there are themes. He's got like concept albums and yeah. he has people dressing up and dancing and doing whole and stage shows. That's what sells it for me. He changes it up constantly. But he's always got the overwhelming feeling of good overdubbing. He layers very, very well. He produces very well. He produced um, the Intronauts' new album. 
which yep. must be a good thing. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. So, and thank you for taking the time to come and chat to us, Matt. Oh, it's wicked. And for me... you inviting me to actually do this and share yeah, this no, with And any time, man. It's actually brought back a lot of really nice memories for me. And as I said about the actual impetus for trying to do all this. But if anyone out there in podcast land is listening to this and they want to come and chat to me and Phil, you're very, very welcome. We'll, we'll go no further than Shefford. <laughs> <laughs> And um, Man, that's far. <laughs> yeah, that if you want far. to come and talk to us, please, we'll include email addresses in the links to the show. So please do hit us up if you reckon you've got something to say. Absolutely. If you guys find yourself wanting to do the Camino Northern Spain, come and stay at my albergue. Mm. Because, hey, I need the cash. Mm. <laughs> Actually, that is a very good point. Just as we end this, where exactly is your albergue? Well, here you go. I, I can't. I mean, most people who have been to Spain have been to the south of Spain, the Balearics or the Canaries. Yeah. Barcelona. Uh, or Barcelona. I mean, the northwest of Spain is not that well known. But if anyone knows their football back from like 15 years ago when La Coruña was in the Champions League, I'm near that city, yeah, La Coruña. Coruña. Cool. Yeah, thank you for taking the time to chat to us. Thanks for inviting me along. <laughs>